Let us pray. Lord, we pray for Pastor Mike as he expounds on the scriptures for us. We pray that you'll give him words to speak. Um, we pray that you'll give us ears to listen and that attention will be drawn not to the speaker, but to the Savior. Amen. The scripture reading today is from 2 Peter 3, 8-18. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our brother Austin will be pleased to hand out copies of the sermon. If you would like to have one, please get his attention as he comes by. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, Peter's preaching, as far as we have it in the Bible, always seems to have a sense of urgency. His first public sermon was on Pentecost, and it ended like this. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And this morning, we heard pretty much the last recorded words of Peter, the last words that we know of that he ever wrote to the church, and they have the same kind of urgency. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. But what does Peter really want us to hear when he speaks and writes those words? He's not just making a theological observation that God marks time differently from how we mark time. Peter wants us to think about God and about our own lives, about the way we live our lives, about what happens to our lives when our lives in this world are all over. 
And that's actually the main thing Peter wants us to know and to remember and to be sure that we don't ignore. Every life will end. In fact, this whole world will come to an end. This world will not last forever and it will not just fade gently away. It will disappear in a sudden cataclysm. It will melt down in the fire of God's judgment. He says that twice actually in verse 10 and in verse 12. And that consuming fire of judgment will do something. It will reveal the true nature of everything that has happened in this world. It will be like a refiner's fire burning away the impurities and leaving behind only what is pure. And and that's what Peter means at the end of verse 10. The earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed, will become visible. Peter's also very much interested in helping us understand some things about God. God isn't just a dispassionate and disinterested observer who's sort of looking at his cosmic stopwatch, waiting for some pre-appointed moment, and then when that moment comes, kill switch, it's all over. According to Peter, God is a very interested and very invested observer who's watching all of this intently, looking for a particular outcome, actively exercising patience, with the self-destructive human race. Peter's really telling us what God wants. And he's also telling us what God doesn't want. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God does want everyone to come to repentance so that all of us can be saved. God's balancing his impatience about the world's wickedness and his eager desire to show his glory to his children to give them their inheritance against his patience with sinners and his earnest desire for everyone's repentance so that everyone can be saved. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I actually understand the emotional life of God, but I think we can often learn something about God from how we experience life emotionally. If you've ever loved someone, who has self-destructive tendencies, who makes all kinds of bad choices, who seems to bring self-caused misery into their lives. I think that might give you some insight into the way that God is showing patience. The way God is not giving up on people. The way God is not just cutting us off, not just snuffing out this world even though it's full of evil, but bearing with the world bearing with each person in the hopes that people will come to their senses, in the hopes that they will repent, in the hopes that they will be saved. That's what God's eagerly looking for. God's patience is for the sake of salvation. Paul says the same thing in Romans 2. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But God's patience will run out someday. The day will come like a thief. Jesus used the same expression. I'm sure that's where Peter got it. And many people will suffer loss the way they suffer loss when a thief comes. The fire of judgment will fall and the true nature of every act, every word, and even every thought will be revealed. So that's 
the one thing above all that Peter wants us to keep in mind. And he wants us to think deeply about what that means for how we live right now in, in, a, a, as we await this coming end, this coming judgment, and this coming salvation. Peter asks a rhetorical question that sort of answers itself, if you think about it. Since everything will pass away in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be as you lead lives of holiness and godliness? Like in a courtroom, that's what you would call a leading question, right? It seems like there's only one right answer to the question, and Peter just told us the answer. You lead lives of holiness and godliness. But this question might go a little deeper than that, and the answer might go a little deeper than that. Peter's trying to show us what the result of leading holy and godly lives is. Peter wants us to understand that our obedience to God, our response to God's patience might actually be accomplishing more than we imagine. Let's think about the rest of the question because it's a pretty long question. What sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. This, this is the part of the passage that I really want to focus on this morning. I want to talk about two of the verbs in that sentence. As you wait for and as you hasten the coming of the day of God. The verb wait for comes up three times in a row in this passage. In verse 12, in verse 13, and in verse 14. Repetition is always significant in the Scripture. The verb is the same in each three cases. Prostokeo in Greek. It doesn't really just mean wait for in the sense that you wait for a bus or you wait for an appointment with your dentist. The word implies a kind of investment, a kind of alertness, and a kind of eager expectation, like you're, you're up at the top of the mast on a ship hoping to spy some land, or, or you're waiting for Christmas and you know it's coming. You know it's not going to be always winter and never Christmas, to use the phrase from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. But, but it's not here yet, but you're looking for it. And, and, and in Christian culture, we often have these faddish phrases that come and go. And, and, and one of the phrases I've heard a lot over the last few years is, is lean into I'm leaning into that. Well, if any verb in Greek could translate that phrase, lean into, it, it's this one, prosdokeo. Peter imagine us, imagines us sort of leaning eagerly into the promises of God and looking forward to them in a way that, that they can almost hold us up as if we were leaning into a strong breeze that just kept us from falling. And I want to suggest that this kind of eager expectation that this verb implies and that Peter mentions three times is not just emotional. It's functional. It's functional in at least two ways. First, it's an expression of genuine Christian hope. And if this kind of eager expectation actually shapes the way we live, if it makes us do good things that most people, and for that matter, that we wouldn't naturally be inclined to do, and if it makes us willing to endure things and able to endure things that are difficult to endure and that any sane person would not voluntarily do, 
then that serves as a witness to Christ in this world and to the hope that he brings us. And you never know. That might be what it takes to turn someone else's heart towards God and to give God what God is looking for as God patiently regards the world, the repentance that leads to salvation. And this is actually how the church has been built, by people living in hope and out of that hope bearing faithful witness to Jesus not just in bad and not just in good times but even in bad times eager expectation is also functional because if you really believe that the things that you're longing for are real and will happen you will pray for those things to happen soon and God does answer prayer even those prayers last week i reminded you if you were here, you, I hope you remember that we need to pray in the Spirit, that we need to pray with the Spirit. We don't even know how to pray as we ought to, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, but as he also tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for us and with us. And there's one prayer in the Bible that we're absolutely sure that human beings pray along with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it is? Those of you who just finished the study of the book of Revelation, maybe you remember those words near the end of Revelation, the Spirit and the Bride say come. They were in our call to worship this morning. The Holy Spirit and the church pray together, long together for the coming day of the Lord, the time when Jesus will finally and fully and forever take his throne and begin to reign. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the essence of Advent right there. But Peter is hinting at something in addition to prayer, not to, not to belittle prayer. Like if you can do nothing else in your life, praying is probably the best thing you can do. But Peter also seems to be saying that our holy and godly living in and of itself actually speeds up the coming of the day of the Lord. Our godly living hastens that day. Hasten is another important word in our text, and a version of it actually comes up twice. First of all, it comes up in verse 12, as you already heard, waiting for and hastening, spelled on tas, from the Greek verb speldo, which is a cognate from, uh, to our English word speed. You can hear the S and the P and the D in it. Speeding the coming day of God. But then it comes up again in verse 14 in a slightly altered form. And our translators give it a little bit of a different in, in emphasis. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, that's that last prostokeo, strive to be found at peace with him. Oh, sorry, by him at peace without spot or blemish. Strive is how our translators render that word. And it's not a wrong translation. But this verb is closely related to the word for hasten. It's actually derived from it. Speldasate is from speldazo, spudazo, and ultimately from speldo. So you could translate it like this. Be, be really eager. In fact, be in a hurry to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish. Most of us, when we think of our sanctification, we think of that as a slow, lifelong process. Peter is encouraging us to be in a hurry, to try to speed that process up, to become holy, as holy as you can be, as quickly as you can get 
holy. And this, this combination of words and ideas, this, this juxtaposition of eager expectation and hastening kind of balances the notion of patience and the notion of impatience. And precisely because we have to wait so patiently, but also so eagerly for the Lord's coming, let's do, this is Peter's sort of punchline, let's do everything we can to get ready as quickly as we can and be ready as ready as we can for those things that we're waiting for. It's kind of like be the change, right? And here's the thing that really interests me. This mixture of patience and impatience that Peter is calling us to exactly max, matches the mixture of patience and impatience that we can observe in God as well. And not only that, but if we hurry eagerly to embody the holiness and godliness that God calls us to, we actually become what God wants us to become. If we do that, then that gives God what God is looking for. That satisfies God's longings. We become the holy people that this, is, this whole salvation project, this whole creation and redemption thing is all about. This is why God made the world, so that God could save for himself a holy and godly people. And maybe if we become that, as much as we can. Maybe that's enough to winch the day of the Lord one step closer. The incremental but steady refining process that we go through in the power and in the grace of the Holy Spirit may well be the thing that hastens the coming of the day of God. So I think we're right to conclude based on this passage, based on the whole New Testament, that God will hear and answer our prayers for the kingdom to come, and that we should do that regularly and faithfully and eagerly. But I think Peter's also telling us that we can hasten the coming of the day by hastening our pursuit of holiness and by eagerly seeing godliness. And I think that really ought to inspire us and motivate us and stir us out of our lethargy that we too easily fall into. And I think Jesus had something very much in mind like this when he said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek. And that's a not just seek, but keep seeking. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If we're seeking a reality in which righteousness is at home, to use Peter's words, then us becoming more fully righteous hastens the arrival of that reality. I want to look at just one more thing in this this morning's passage. Peter has reminded us that the Lord's patience means salvation, and he's told us that we should respond to God's patience with a sort of impatience by pursuing salvation eagerly. And Peter has even given us the hope that this will actually make our salvation come more quickly. But Peter ends by warning us not to do anything that will put our salvation at risk. And he especially warns us about false teachers who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Peter doesn't want us to follow them to our destruction. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time this morning trying to identify what those false teachings are right now. I think I could say that the gospel can be perverted by almost any political, economic, social or personal agenda. 
And I think we could all name lots of ways in which we think the gospel has been perverted. But I think the best way to avoid false teaching is not to spend a whole lot of time critiquing it, but rather devoting ourselves to true teaching. I'll point out a couple of things that Peter says about the false teachers in his own time. And I think these things are equally true of false teachers in any time. He uses two words, the words ignorant and the word unstable. The word ignorant here is actually related to the word for disciple. It means an untaught person or an undiscipled person. And the word unstable here suggests a lack of growth and spiritual maturity. The, you know, the way plants need to get strong enough to hold up their own weight. The, the way babies need to grow strong enough to hold up their own heads. Peter's warning is simple and stark. Beware that you are not carried away by the error of the lawless and lose your own stability. The best way to avoid the teaching of teachers who are undiscipled, who don't submit to, who don't continue in the teaching of Jesus, is to be discipled yourself. Jesus once said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The antidote to false teaching is to continue in the word of Jesus. And the best way to prevent being led astray by spiritually immature teachers is by doing what it takes to become spiritually mature yourself. Let the Holy Spirit lead you even through the hard things. And that's essentially where Peter is pointing us to the grace of God that that teaches us and that brings us to maturity. Here's, in fact, how he ends his last letter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Grow is not a suggestion. It's a command. And I'd love for you to think about that throughout this whole season of Advent, throughout this season of remembering and longing for the coming of our Lord Jesus. What are you doing to grow in the grace and the knowledge? What are you doing to prepare for the Lord's coming? Are you eager for it? Are you hastening it? Are you hastening your own growth? Are you eager to become what God is calling you to be? Never forget this one thing, dear friend, says Peter. And in essence, he's telling us God is looking for our repentance. God's patience is for the sake of our salvation. And if we are wise, we will pursue that salvation with great patience mixed with great impatience. That's all I have to say. Will you pray with me, though? What will we have to say to you, Lord, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming months as we wait for your coming? Will we also hasten it? We pray, Lord, that our answer will be yes. That we ourselves, by our holy and godly living, will be in part an answer to our own prayers and to your longings as our creator and redeemer. We pray that your grace will shape our lives, that hope will mold us 
that faith will sustain us through hard things and that love will be the thing that we both express and experience and strive to embody. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your patience. And we pray for the grace to respond to your patience so that we can live into, lean into, and ultimately fully enjoy your great promises. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.